here's the question. The question is what to do if I am offended. Now, that's not what to do when. It's not to do. <laughs> it's not what to do if I'm offended. It's what to do when I'm offended. Offense is going to come. Offense is part of life. Remember last week we talked about that, whether you fancy yourself a cruise ship or whether you fancy yourself a tugboat. We are going to run into each other just like that film clip. And we have a choice whether we deal with it then and there and it gets better or whether it escalates and gets much worse. Satan's principal tool in undermining our unity is taking offense. It's the most common thing in life. It happens every day. The church is no different. It happens in families. It happens in marriages. It happens at work. It happens in parking lots. It happens in church. How we handle offenses against us is going to determine how much of heaven on earth we experience. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. If you look at the writings of Paul, you look at the writings of Jesus, a huge portion of what they have to say is about relationships. And it's extremely practical how to handle relationships, how to handle offense. So let's look at our first verse, Romans 15, 5. And it says this, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity. You know, I've never seen that before, but as I'm looking at it right now, if you're going to have a spirit of unity, you're going to need endurance. Because life is going to test your ability to react properly to offenses. As you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's where he gets practical with it. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Accept one another. How? Just the way that Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Let's look at our next passage, which is Colossians 3.13. And it's about forgiveness. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, Forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. What's the common denominator between accepting one another and forgiving one another? What's the common theme that joins these two verses together? Anybody? Come on, guys. Well, one's about acceptance, one's about forgiveness, but they both have in common a certain aspect. No. Let's look at it again. Let's go back to that first verse. How good. How are we to accept one another? How are we to accept one another? Just as Christ accepted you. Now, let's go to the next verse. How are we to forgive one another? Just as the Lord has forgiven you. The key to understanding this and the key to success is not um, how how much you can control your responses or how much you can uh, tighten down your self-control or how much you can focus on simply forgiving or accepting. The key to doing this successfully is understanding how Christ has done it for you. He's the starting place always. He's the center of the equation. So we're going to ask two questions. 
How did Christ accept you and how did he forgive you? The starting place in dealing with offenses of others is acceptance and forgiveness. Most of the social scrapes and bruises we experience are to be dealt with by these two things, forgiveness and acceptance. Well, it's easier said than done. But here's the key. As Christ accepted you and as the Lord has forgiven you, we forget exactly how Jesus accepted us and we forget how he forgave us. Let's look at it for a minute. How are you accepted by Jesus? Well, let me let me give you a little hint. When did Jesus accept you? When did Jesus accept you? When did he start accepting you? Guys. Yeah, he had you in mind before he created the universe. That's when he began planning for you. Isn't that something? He began planning for your life before anything ever existed. You were a thought in his mind. Before you were ever born, he, here on earth, began to take active steps to, to, to accept you and to forgive you. What did he do? When did he start that acceptance process? 2,000 years ago, how did he do it? He died on the cross. That was the beginning of it. 2,000 years before you were born, he began taking active steps to assure your acceptance and your forgiveness. It's an amazing thing. He was completely intentional about accepting you. What did it cost him? It cost him his life. More than that, it's more than it cost him his life. It cost him becoming, the Bible says, he became our sin. He didn't just take it on for a few minutes like a dirty old coat, take it to the cross and die with it. He became our sin. So we could become His righteousness. The acceptance of Jesus is deliberate. It's planned. It's aggressive. And it's costly. It's deliberate. It's planned. It's aggressive. And it's costly. Same thing goes for his forgiveness. Both his his acceptance comes through his forgiveness. His forgiveness on the cross is all of those four things. Okay, so when we come to look at the offenses that we receive from other people, is our forgiveness of them deliberate, planned, aggressive, and costly? Do you leave the house in the morning saying, people are going to hurt me today, people are going to offend me today, people are going to ignore me today, people are going to be socially inappropriate with me today, and some people intentionally are out to do me harm today at work, at the office. And I'm going to, before I leave the house, be deliberate, planned, and aggressive about accepting them and forgiving them. And it's going to cost me emotionally 
And it may cost me in promotions and it may cost me financially and it may cost. Well, for sure, it's going to cost me pride wise. I know that before I leave the house, I know that. Now, that sounds a little extreme, doesn't it? Who would ever who would ever leave the house like that? Well, a Christian. Might. Should. Well, really, I'm not kidding, really. Shouldn't we anticipate these things in the same way that Jesus anticipated it? How about this question? What did you have to do to gain Jesus acceptance or forgiveness? When he did it, when he died on the cross, you didn't exist. Isn't that interesting? When he died on the cross, you didn't exist. What did you have to do to get him to die on the cross? Well, the answer is nothing. You weren't born yet. You had nothing to do with it. The acceptance Jesus gave was totally unconditional. It was all him. All you had to do to make it functional in your life and operational was accept it. The acceptance and forgiveness of Jesus cost him everything. It cost you nothing. You didn't even have to make a decision about it. He just unilaterally went to the cross and died for your sins. And today he comes to you and he says, do you or don't you accept it? That's all you have to do. Isn't that amazing? He gave you his acceptance and he died for your sins before you asked for forgiveness. Now, how should we forgive others? Before. You know, it's just so frustrating. There's people walking around and during the course of counseling, I run into them all the time and their life has stalled their emotional development, their spiritual development, their social development, their economic often development. All the blessings that God has in mind for them have stalled at a certain point in their life. So you go back as a good counselor and you trace what happened and you say, when did things start to go off the rails? And very often, a lot of the time it comes down to a broken relationship. And then you say, well, have you forgiven? Because if you don't forgive this person, you are shutting off the blessings of God coming to your life. Guys, I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's a biblical, spiritual principle that describes human life. Forgive so that you might be forgiven. Forgive so that you might obtain the benefits of forgiveness. So I say... Here's the connection. Here's what the Bible says. Can you see how your life got stuck? Yes, I can. Do you understand that you are not going to go further in all of the plans that God has for you unless you forgive this person? Yes, I do. Well, shall we forgive them? No. Why not? They haven't come and apologized yet. 
Most people stop at the point of forgiving because the other person hasn't groveled. When they grovel, I'll forgive. In other words, when they earn the forgiveness by coming and apologizing and saying, I understand how much I hurt you and I'm so sorry for what I've done for you. Oh, I'm so horrible. I don't know what possessed me. Please, please forgive me. Listen, if you're waiting for that to happen, you're going to die and never see it. All the serious hurts in my life, nobody's come and said they were sorry. I'm still waiting. Well, actually, I'm not. I'm not waiting. Because it's not going to happen. And my forgiveness is not conditional upon somebody coming and asking for forgiveness. They're not going to do it. Jesus forgave you before you asked for forgiveness. It cost you nothing. It cost him everything. We're to forgive in the same way. You just release forgiveness whether they ask for it or not. That's not fair. That's not fair. They should, they, they should have to admit what they did to me. You don't know what they did to me. And this is, I'm quoting verbatim conversations I've had. You don't know what he did to me. So what? That's not relevant. It's not part of the package. God didn't say when they grovel and they really mean it, then in some magnanimous kingly gesture, you grant forgiveness. He said you just forgive the same way Christ forgave. Here's, here's my favorite. <clears throat> this is the one where it brings it all home for me. I don't know about you, but this really works for me. What condition <clears throat> were you in when you received Jesus' acceptance and forgiveness into your life? What moral condition were you in? What, what were you like the day you got saved? The day you accepted His unconditional forgiveness and appropriated the benefits of it into your life. What were you like five minutes before you did that? At the moment you did that, what was your moral condition like? <clears throat> you're, th- you're the worst you've ever been. You're the worst you've ever been. If you weren't the worst you've ever been, you wouldn't have figured out that you needed salvation. Something dawned on you. You saw yourself as you really were and you said, oh my God, this is far more horrible than I ever suspected. I really am a rotten person. I need somebody to die for my sins. Thank God there's God. Thank Jesus there's Jesus. Thank God for the cross. I accept it. You weren't morally all cleaned up. You didn't get morally cleaned up till years later. Some of us are not morally cleaned up today. I'm serious. So why, when we release forgiveness and acceptance, is it on the condition that the person changes? When they change, I'll forgive them. Well, that's human forgiveness, but that's got nothing to do with how Jesus forgives. When they change, I'll accept them. Well, that's human acceptance. It's got nothing to do with how Jesus accepted you. Or me. For ten years, I wanted to become a Christian. I didn't for ten years. 
for 10 years from 18 to 28, I wanted to become a Christian. I didn't do it even though it was the number one thing I wanted. Why didn't I do it? Because I could not wrap my mind around a God who would accept someone like me. Groucho Marx said, I would never want to be a member of a club that would have someone like me for a member. Let me repeat that because it really defines the human condition. I would never want to be a member of a club that would have someone like me for a member or a leader. For 10 years, guys, I stayed away from God because I figured it can't be much of an organization that it would accept someone like me. I need to change. I need to get better. I need to clean myself up. Then when I'm good and clean and acceptable, I can come to God and He can accept me. It doesn't work that way. You'll never get clean enough. I couldn't understand the grace of God that would accept me the way I was. It made no sense. But I'll tell you what, the day it happened, and I didn't, and I'm saying, I'm not saying the day it made sense. It hasn't yet made sense. I don't understand it. It's the thing about God that takes my breath away. I can't understand that kind of love for me. But I remember the day it happened, that it hit me, that he loved me and accepted me the way I was. And that changed me forever. And then I became a Christian. Received the love first, then believed and accepted it. Now look, what right do any of us have to withhold our forgiveness and our acceptance until that person becomes acceptable to us. Until they clean themselves up or until they apologize. We were accepted at our worst. That's the attitude we're to have with one another as we accept one another. Kind of shocking, isn't it? Knowing these things should give us pretty good motivation for releasing forgiveness and acceptance to those that have hurt us. Well, what about sin? See, Mark, what about sin? See, I can understand if they just made a social faux pas. I can understand if, if it was just a slight and maybe they didn't really intend it or maybe they just got a kind of a crazy personality and they're very offensive. I can overlook that. But what about when it's a serious sin and they keep doing it? I can't accept someone who commits serious sin against me and they keep on doing it. How can I accept someone who practices sin against me or someone else and they don't repent? Now, this is a real issue. And this is a real issue. Okay, let's look at it. First step. Well, let's make sure it's really sin. Well, that's a trick answer. What do you mean? Make sure it's really sin. Well, folks, let me just lay it out, okay? A whole lot of what we call sin isn't. I'm going to get in a little trouble here, but I don't care. 
we have a whole bunch of stuff that we call sin, and it's not sin at all. You know what it is? It's the tradition of the elders. It's the way we do things. It's our style. It's our personal personal preferences. Every church has an unwritten code of conduct that they say is sin, and it's not. It's just what they don't like. Rap music. It's of the devil, it's of the devil, it's of the devil. It's got no melody and it goes around and round and round. It has no melody and it does go round and round and round. That doesn't make it evil, it just makes it bad music. Rap music is bad music, but it's not evil. I wish it were evil so I could stop you listening to it. We won't have any rap music in this church because it's of the devil. Well, they said the same thing about drums, and our pastor plays the drums. <laughs> I'm on a roll now, baby. I'm going after religion, and I got it by the throat. I'm all squeeze it, put it down, I'm going to kill it. <laughs> Let's look at a scripture passage. Romans 14.1. This is an important passage. Accept him whose faith is weak, slash who listens to rap music because he's got no taste, and slash... Accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Folks, a whole lot of the things that offend us is not sin. It's just it offends our style or it's not what we're used to or it's not our understanding of religion. Do you understand what I'm saying? But where it's a disputable matter and the Bible doesn't talk about it, neither should we. Period. If the Bible is silent on a matter, why are we spouting off our opinions as if our opinions is the standard of right and wrong? Really? Cut one another some slack. Look in the Bible to see if what you're calling sin is really sin before you make an accusation about it. Let's at least be true to the Word of God. Disputable matters are matters that the Bible is silent about. Where the Bible is silent, so should we be. But I don't like rap music, and since I only listen to worship music, rap music must be evil. Therefore, this church needs a music cop, and I'm it. my answer would be, I don't like rap music either, but that doesn't make it evil. To be honest, what offends us in other people most is usually and often our pride rising up. My growth growth group leader forgot to tell me about the new meeting time, so she doesn't love me. I need a new group. was once, I don't know if I told you this last week, I think I did, I can't remember, I'm old. Church in Canada, we had this big church at the time, there was about 600 people in it, and two services, you know, two services. So I've been on my feet for, uh, with the band set up, seven and a half hours by the end of the second service, nothing to eat, nothing to drink in the middle, straight church for seven and a half to eight hours, it's finally over, I've, I've preached twice, lived worship twice, I'm a rung 
out rag, okay? I'm a wrung out dish rag. There is nothing of value left in the rag. Throw it away. Give it a week. It will be fine. But there's a whole lineup of people, a bunch of new people and genuinely needy people who are waiting in line to talk to me because they think there's an ounce left. They don't know. They just got the whole thing in the sermon. There is nothing left. The man's a fool. Anything he tells you now will probably hurt you. But they don't they've still got the faith to receive. So they're in line to talk to Pastor Mark and receive something wonderful from him. And, you know, you're just I mean, it's just like you're dizzy and you're spouting Old Testament stuff from Leviticus. You don't know where you are. You know, I God help these people right now. Please, Lord, protect them from anything I say. And they're getting and they're coming in the six. There's a line of them. It's like there's six of them. And there's one of our growth group leaders is the seventh person in line. And she's watching all this. Me talking to these people, praying for them, letting them go. And I'm going as fast as I can because, folks, I'm hungry. And you know how I feel emotionally about food, okay? So I'm geared. I want to get this over with. Believe me, I'm in a hurry. God bless you here. Take bless you. Go. Go. I just want it to be over, too. And she's like at the end of the line, one of our growth group leaders. She's just staring at me. You're failing me. You're failing me. You're failing me. So I'm going through as fast as I can. She just gets mad and she leaves. And out she goes. Well, frankly, at that point, I was glad. Oh, there's one last problem today. I get the phone call the next day. I have an issue with you. Yes? You don't love me like you used to love me. What made you think I ever loved you? <laughs> Are you on drugs again? What do, you, what do you mean? You didn't make eye contact with me while I was waiting in line to talk to you. There were six people in front of you in the line. My eyes were busy with them. Well, if you're not going to take me seriously, we're not going to have this conversation. I mean, can you believe it? What, what other words could we use to describe her attitude? Self-centered? Narcissistic? One big, huge cruise ship? And the tug didn't get there in time to pull her away from the dock. Get a life. I didn't say that because I was a lot better person in those days. Now I would say, I think perhaps acquiring a life would be a good idea. Get over it. I mean, come on. For gosh sakes. It's a lot of what we call offense. It's really not offense at all. It's just that they didn't acknowledge how really wonderful we are. Sorry, I'm a, I know I'm emoting here, but, you know. Do you understand what I'm saying? A lot of it's just pride. Just let it go. Let it go. Forgive, accept. Okay, what about the stuff that's really sin? I mean, you looked it up in the Bible and there it is, black and white. The person's doing wrong and they keep on doing it and they're not going to stop. Let's look at this text. Matthew 18. If another member of the church sins against you, 
for real. Go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Huh. What might that mean? Go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. What do you think that he's driving at there? Anybody? Hello? Don't gossip. Don't make your issue someone else's issue. Okay? We're going to look at this in more detail next Sunday and go, we're going to dig into gossip because gossip, in, in my experience, is the most deadly church wrecking tool in Satan's toolbox. Nothing will undo a church quicker than gossip. And I'm, tell, I'm telling you this, we don't have a problem with gossip in this church. Okay? This is not one of those corrective teachings where, where you know, you're, the pastor's looking out and smoldering on a couple of people. That's not what's happening. This is a preventive medicine sermon. This is like, as we grow, as God pours out more blessing upon us, as we see more supernatural things happening, we become a target for the enemy. And he says, i got to do something about that church. He tries frontal assaults, and they don't work. And then he goes, well, if that's not going to work, I'm going to go back to my fallback tool, the best one I got in the toolbox. I'm going to stir up their relationships. I'm going to cause hurt and division. I'm going to get some people offended. I'm going to amp that up as much as I possibly can. And if I can inject the virus of gossip into this church, I can crash the whole hard disk. I can bring it all down. So this is like preventative medicine. When you got an issue with somebody because they're in legitimate sin, you don't go talk to your pastor first. You don't say, Pastor John, I've got this issue with so-and-so. I need you to pray for me. You just gossiped. What if it's true? It doesn't matter if it's true. We're going to look at this next week. Truth is not what it's about. It's gossip as soon as you spread your issue to somebody else in the church. Don't talk to anybody. Oh my God, who am I going to talk to? His name is Jesus. I don't have anyone to talk to. Talk to him. Right? Yeah, talk to him first. And then talk to the person who's offended you. The person that you know is in sin. And you know the formula. It's so practical. Jesus is so practical. If that member listens to you, you've regained that one. Do you, do you, see, do you see the point of this is? The point of this is, is not about punishment. If he listens to you, you've punished him. You've corrected him. If he listens to you, you have your relationship back. See, all we're going to look at this next week. Do this this week. Go to Matthew 18. Look at all the parables that come before Matthew 18. You know what they are? The lost sheep. The lost coin. It's all about losing something valuable. Sin breaks relationships. This is about restoring the relationship. This isn't about church discipline. This isn't about punishment. The focus here is not let's punish the guy who's in sin. The focus is let's bring the sin to his attention now so he can repent of it. So we can be close again. It's all about restored relationship. It's not about hurting somebody who's a jerk. 
I want my pound of flesh. I want that guy to suffer. I just hope he doesn't repent. I hope when I go to him one-on-one, he doesn't repent. Then I hope when I take somebody else, he won't repent. Oh, God, I hope that then we take him to the church and he won't repent. And then the whole church will, will identify him publicly as someone who is in habitual sin and they'll kick him out. Oh, boy, I hope that happens. Well, that's how Jesus forgave us, isn't it? That's the attitude he had. Boy, I hope this death on the cross is a waste. I hope nobody comes to me because they all just ought to go to hell anyway. I don't like the way they treat me. This is unbelievable how disrespectful they've been to me. I'm God. I just hate these people. Burn them, God, because they know what they're doing. It's not God's heart. When you do this, your goal is not punishing the person. Your goal is restoring the relationship. I want them back. I want to have the kind of sweet fellowship that sin doesn't mess up. I want the sin removed so we can be at one again. And when you come, we're going to talk about this next week, you come with something the Bible calls tears. You come with a broken heart. And we're going to look at that in depth. How do you get that broken heart when you're coming to actually try to win back someone who's actually hurt you and is in is in sin? So that if you're not listened to, you take another one or maybe you take two and you go talk to them again, that that the words can be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. But if that person refuses to listen to them, even then you go to the leadership of the church. And you tell the leadership of the church and the elders and their home group leader, whatever growth group leader brings the person in and says, there's a serious problem in your life and it's destroying your relationships with people in this church. And it can't go on. We can't let it go on. It's killing you. It's hurting them. It's tearing the church up. You must stop this. And if you don't stop this, we'll stop having fellowship with you until you do stop this. But this isn't punishment. This is an attempt to save you. You know, the most merciful thing you can do is discover your sin before Judgment Day. The point's clear. We're not to discuss this with anybody else, and this includes under the guise of asking for prayer support or advice. You've got Jesus to talk to. He's your prayer support. What if this person won't listen? What if he gets right up to the level of the elders and the elders tell the whole church that this person sinned and isn't repenting? And until he does repent, he's got to leave the fellowship. I know a bunch of you right now are thinking, those are incredibly harsh words. How could Jesus ever say something like this? These are harsh words. Well, not if you consider that they come from the most loving person who's ever walked the planet. How could Jesus be so hard on a poor sinner? Because it's mercy to confront an unrepentant person with his sin this side of the final judgment. Do you understand? Let me say it again. It's mercy... To confront an unrepentant person with his sin, this side of the final judgment. Sin destroys the life of the sinner and it destroys other lives as well. It's like a doctor telling a patient he has cancer. 
If you do it early enough, the patient doesn't have to die. This is hard to follow, isn't it? I remember at our church in Canada, we had to we had to do this once. A new Christian. <laughs> a new Christian, a guy who just gotten out of prison and he got saved. And I mean, he got really saved, you know, he was on fire for the Lord, passionate about God. His life had turned around. He needed a place to live. So he went and lived with one of the guys in our church, a single guy. Older single guy. And. For the first while, it went great until the new Christian discovered that the older guy wasn't paying his taxes. He hadn't paid his taxes in about 15 years. So he said to the older guy, because he's a new Christian, right? And that means he reads the Bible. That wasn't a joke. He's a new Christian, so he reads the Bible and he's kind of goofy, so he takes it seriously. So here he is reading the Bible, believing what he's hearing. This is going to lead to trouble. You just know it. And he reads the part about paying taxes, how we're supposed to pay taxes. So he goes to the older guy and he says, hey, here's this part in the Bible about how we're supposed to pay taxes. And the older guy says, "Uh, so Well, here's this part in the Bible, how we're supposed to pay taxes. So, well, you told me you haven't paid taxes for like 15 years. So, well, this is wrong. This is like sin. So, so he goes and he gets, see, he's reading the Bible, so he knows what to do. So he knows not to gossip. So seriously, he knows what to do. He's read this. So he goes and he gets another guy and they go to see him and they said, hey, you're not paying your taxes. So, well, you need to pay your taxes. The Bible says so. So I'm not going to. So then they come to the elders, these two guys, and they say, hey, you know, we've been talking to him now for a month about this and he's not paying his taxes. And he says he's not going to pay his taxes. And the Bible says he's supposed to pay his taxes. And we said, yeah. And they said, what are you going to do about it? We were in a corner. They'd read the Bible. We couldn't snow them. No. Now we're stuck with the Bible. Oh, no. I knew it would come to this. So we called them in and we said, hey, these guys say you're not paying your taxes. Yeah. Well, why aren't you paying your taxes? I don't want to. It's too much trouble filling out the papers. How long has this been going on? I don't know, 15 years. You have to pay your taxes. Bible says so. Well, I don't want to. You have to pay your taxes. What are you going to do about it? I said, well, we're going to help you pay your taxes. So what do you mean? I said, well, we have a a CPA, a tax specialist who's in our church, and he's going to come over to your house, spend the next six months getting your taxes in order, and we're going to help you pay your taxes. Fill out everything else, advocate for you with uh, Revenue Canada, the IRS, and um, we're going we're gonna to help you obey the Bible. Okay, that's a good idea. Six months. That's a long time, folks. You can fill out your tax forms in six months, even 15 years worth. You can do it. So our tax guy went over, sat down with him. The guy refused. Tried again, 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 again. 
The guy refused. He wouldn't pay his taxes and he wouldn't try. He wouldn't do anything that we were trying to do. We showed him in the Bible. This is wrong. He agreed. He wouldn't do it. We got up publicly in front of the church six months later. We said, this man is in sin. He's disobeying the Bible. It may not seem like a big thing to you, but it is because he's disobeying something that's clearly biblical and he has no intention of changing. And here's all the efforts we've done to help this person change. He refuses from this day forward. He's not a part of our church anymore. We've asked him to leave. And we don't want you to have fellowship with him. What would you do? What would you do if that happened here? What would you do? Would you support the leadership or would you say, I don't care what they say. That seems harsh. He's my friend. I'm sticking with him. Now, which side are you on? All of a sudden, you know, it's like it's not fun anymore. All of a sudden, it's like, this is really serious. Wow, that it would come to something like this? Sin destroys lives. It destroys relationships. Unattended, it will wreck everything around it. Sometimes these sorts of things have to happen. Boy, what a downer this was. Hard to follow? Yeah. It's much harder than just quitting the relationship or gossiping. But listen to this, you guys. If we obey these simple commands... We can be assured our love and unity will be nurtured and protected and we're all going to experience much more of heaven on earth. For real. Let's pray. This isn't going where I thought it would go, but I think that uh, something we need to do. I didn't think it would go like this. Didn't think it would get this serious. But it's really serious. See, there's, sets, there's something at stake here that's much bigger than the issue. Something here that's much bigger for each one of us than the issue we're talking about. And here's what it is. It's the Bible. There's a big issue here. It's called the Bible. There's a part of each one of us that's rebellious. There's a, it's in it's in all of us. We it's you know it's it's the curse of our independence. It's the it's the curse of the great dignity and freedom that God gave us as morally independent beings. But underneath of it all, there's this rebelliousness. You see, each one of us has a version of the Bible. It's not the New International Version or the New Revised Standard or the Living Bible. It's the Mark version. It's the Connie version. It's the John version. 
It's the Bruce version. It's the Tim version. It's the Dan version. It's the Brian version. We all get a version of it that's kind of what we like in it. And we skip over. We have this amazing mental ability to skip over the parts we don't like. Here's the sad thing. For each of us, the parts we don't like are often the most important parts for each of us. We need to come to terms with it. And this sermon I see right now in this moment has raised this issue for many of us. Am I really prepared to accept the Bible as authority in my life? Really? Even when I don't like what it's saying and I don't like the conclusions and I don't like how I might have to change because of it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would bring to each of our hearts, if this is the way, if this is an issue for us, if this is an issue for me, please show me right now that I got to come to terms with your word much more than I have and stop tinkering with it and cutting and pasting and skipping over the stuff I don't like, the hard conclusions, the difficult truths. Jesus, I'm asking you right now by your Holy Spirit for every one of us that this is an issue for. Would you please, please reveal it to our hearts right now? I'm asking everybody here, would you just right now make a decision in your mind to live by the word of God? To submit your life to the word of God. To make it the final authority and not the third or fourth authority. The first authority and the final authority. To make it your goal to live under it, even when it calls us to incredibly hard things. And uncomfortable things. Difficult things. Would you purpose in your heart that you're not going to call sin what the Bible doesn't call sin? That we're not going to pass judgment on disputable matters. That we're going to extend mercy to one another. Finally, will you make the decision... To make it a goal to accept others the way you have been accepted by Jesus. And to forgive others the way you have been forgiven by Jesus. Say today, I'm going to make this my goal. This is the way I want to be with my brothers and sisters. God help me. The reason this is so important, Mark, I believe the reason it landed on the, on the Bible is because this is the manual for the kingdom. And God says, I'll honor those who honor me. And so if we're calling for the kingdom to come and uh, all of the exciting ways that it came with Jesus and all the supernatural power, then we need to be operating in the kingdom according to the king's manual. And, and so I thought this was a profound and the way that the king's manual says to treat one another in relationships 
is huge. And so the rubber meets the road as soon as you leave here and you get in an argument in the parking lot. And uh, that's, where, that's where it begins to happen. That's kingdom dynamics right there. And so we've got to decide that loving one another and accepting one another the way the king's manual says to do it is, is key for the kingdom to come. And uh, I, one of the things I think is amazing about our church is because we are so yielded, or should I say our, our, our core value is to be yielded to the Holy Spirit, how many times throughout the service I recognize the Holy Spirit saying the same thing in different ways, whether it's through some of the worship songs, and then uh, when I was talking about coming back to Jesus, your first love, and, and being connected to Him, and then Tim's word about not discerning my body, and... Uh, and recognizing the relationships around you, then your whole teaching was on those relationships. Uh, you know, I just saw today the Holy Spirit is really wanting us to recognize how important it is uh, to love and accept each other the way the King's Manual says to. This is a foundational teaching. You were talking about um, being, obeying God and being in a right, right relationship with Him and a right relationship with others. And I'm thinking, well, this is the Bible. Love God with all your heart, heart soul, mind, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. It's kingdom dynamics. And so um, I think it's where it comes into relationships is where we like to uh, um, hopscotch around the Bible a lot because the relationships are very difficult. But let me say that the most important relationship is the one you have with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're in here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You have to do that. You have to come to a place where you recognize that either Jesus was a complete lunatic because he said he was God and believed it, or he was a liar because he knew it wasn't true, but he really liked saying that. Or he really is Lord. And he said the only way for you to escape the punishment and guilt of your sins is through my sacrifice for you because I love you so much. So I'm going to ask everybody just to close your eyes for a moment and just, if you're a Christian here today, ask the Lord to forgive you for judging sinners, looking at people that are unlike you, that don't go to church, don't read the Bible, and even hate God. How do you view them? Have you already accepted them or rejected them? How are we ever going to save the lost if they know that we reject them before we even meet them? How is it that you look at them? What's the look in your eye? What do they see on your face that reveals your heart? And then toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, look what he's wearing. Look what she's wearing. You know, I know I know their life. And look, they raise their hands and praise God in church. But I know what's really going on. What is that? That's judgment. Ask the Lord this morning, brother and sister, Cleanse your heart of his pride and superiority and arrogance. Ask him to bring humility back into your heart and acceptance and forgiveness for one another. And as you're doing that, I'm going to ask you if you're here today and you need your sins forgiven, the guilt rolled off your shoulders and a brand new fresh start with God, would you raise your hand up in the air so I can see it and say, that's me. I need to ask Jesus Christ into my life today. I need my sins forgiven. I need my guilt gone. I need to have a fresh start with God. Will you raise your hand straight up high so I can see it if that's you? I want to 
give your life to Jesus today. Anybody? I don't see any hands going up. I'm going to wait just for a minute. If you want to ask Jesus into your life today, will you raise your hand? we thank you for this word today and we pray that it will make its way into the marriages the parenting and child relationships in this church brother and sister relationships in this church Lord keep this church together keep it humble and strong so that you can bring your kingdom in such dynamic in this church and we will not be derailed right before I dismiss everybody um, I want to ask in Mark's teaching there was one point about your life being stuck because of unforgiveness not forgiving people because of what they've done to you or not didn't do for you we all have forgiveness issues the question is what do you do when it rises up in your heart it's a barnacle on your ship it's, it's corrosion in your pipes it's a clogs of the arteries of your spiritual heart so, and I deal with this too. Things come up and it's like, oh man, I, I got to forgive someone. So, if that struck you, then as we dismiss in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come down front down here and, and just get that cleansed out right here before you go out for another seven days. Because there's going to be more people you have to forgive by the end of the week. So, get the ones out now that you're carrying with you so you can have some room before you just explode. So, let's all stand. If you're a guest here today in your bulletin, uh, I don't have one right here, but in your bulletin, you can rip out a guest form and uh, write down uh, your name and fill that out and drop it off at the resource center in the back. You can pick up a free CD, just our gift to you, uh, CD of the sermon. Also, you can put down any chronic illness or disease that you have in your body, not your aunt or uncle's body, yours. And we are making a list for a future testimony list because the Holy Spirit is driving sickness and disease out of our church. So be sure to write that down and put it back, and we'll be praying over, over those uh, every every week. Amen? You guys appreciate what Mark brought today? A good word? Well, may the power of God rest upon you, and may we be supernatural people this week in a city that is desperate for those who know God. Go and do great exploits. In his name. If you need to forgive, please come down here and uh, just get that right with the Lord and let him cleanse out your heart. Thanks for coming today, family.